This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Morena no mai kiti korero e ranga e te reo e rangi ona tangata o Manawatu. It is the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. It is a Friday morning, and so we turn our attention to central government. Uh, last Friday we spoke to Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, and this morning we say Athamarie and Happy New Year to MP for Papaioia Tangi Utikere. Good morning. Morena Fraser, Happy New Year to you and the listeners. I hope everyone's had a an enjoyable and relaxing Christmas. It seems so far away now, yes. uh, given recent events, and we're nearly in February. But no, lovely to be back and looking forward to this year. Are you? I am. Look, I always, <laughs> I, you know, I always say that it's an absolute um, pleasure and privilege to be the local MP, and um, that's that's what I focus on. Sure, there's other stuff that I focus on as well, but um, yeah, I, I love this role, and um, it's one of service for me. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this year as well. Uh, even though it's shaping up to be 2020 take two. Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, take it, three, it, it take three and then some perhaps. But, you know, the, the current context is is what it is. But it's, you know, I also think that people went into the holiday break um, looking forward to a relaxing time with whanau and friends. People were able to, to do that. Um, and now we have Omicron in the community. Uh, it's a little bit different. We know that we were expecting this, mm-hmm. um, but I think people thought that they might have a little bit longer, but it, it is what it is, and we just need to be focusing on what we need to be doing. Well, yes, we do need to be focusing on, on what we need to be doing, but I think a lot of people are struggling to ascertain what that is. The messaging is not... Uh, as clear as when we were in the alert level settings. I mean, we hear on one hand, you know, stamp it out. Uh, that's that, that's that's sure. what we're trying to do. But there are no lockdowns. No one's really being restricted in any way to carry on what they were doing. Uh, and so that that is not, I would have thought, a stamp it out approach. That's a, in air quotes, managed infection. Well, I think when we look at what the current context looks like and um, the, the management tools that have been put in place. We, we all know, for example, that we are in the red alert level mm-hmm. settings. So, uh, when we listen to the prime minister and others, we know that you know it's it's pretty pretty clear that the days of lockdown are behind us, um, and the focus is on what we should be doing, what we can be doing. Um, and by yeah, and so large, why say why say stamp it out if if that's if that's not what we're doing? Why is that the, the the mantra that's being rolled out? Well, I think when we look at what the the options are and what the expectations are, is obviously we want to slow the spread mm. um, of Omicron in the community. And a um, lockdown it, would do that because we're just hearing about the sound splash uh, event fe- festival that looks like it's going to be our first super spreader for Omicron. Yeah, I saw that last night, and you know I, I'm hearing like others that the number of events and activities that are cancelled mm-hmm. as a result. Um, what we do know is that this um, Omicron variant is one that does spread pretty quickly. And so the focus is on slowing down the spread. We know that it is in our community. Mm-hmm. Just last night, the DHB contacted me, and I see on social media last night um, that you know we have another confirmed case um, of a community case of Omicron. Well, they don't know if it's Omicron, actually. It's a, it's a COVID mm-hmm. case as of last night, and obviously the... Um, the sequencing is taking place to look at its origin there. But we, we do understand that that's going to become more common mm-hmm. uh, as 
as Omicron continues to spread. So the focus is on slowing it down uh, because we know that this will apply some pressure to our public health system. Everyone well, that, that, that's that. an understatement, isn't it? Well, it, it is going to apply some pressure. And the, the nature it of could that break pressure. It. Well, the nature of that pressure will mean that, you know, depending on how we respond and how we behave, um, will depend on where the particular curve sits. And, you know, like many others, we, we watch that on news outlets, we hear that uh, from news outlets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still the element of the unknown in terms of when that will hit. Some modelling suggests that it will be late February, well, actually, uh, mid March, and, and some would say, well, depending on the spread at the moment, it might be earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that with Omicron, it does ramp up really, really quickly. Um, and all of the modelling uh, that the government and the public health officials have been basing their plans on uh, acknowledges that. You know, you would have heard uh, Minister Verrill earlier in the week talking through some of that that modelling alongside um, Ashley Bloomfield. Mm-hmm. So everyone understands that this is a, a very catchy variant. <laughs> um, and so we, we just need to be prepared and, and, and listen to the messaging. Yes, it does change from time to time. I think we need to accept that as well. Um, given the, the nature of this, you know, over this week we heard of a, another variant within Omicron and how that had, I think, is, is the most common one in Denmark mm-hmm. at the moment and is, is confirmed to be here in New Zealand. So I think we just need to be open to, yes, understanding what the settings look like, but also open for that to be flexible yeah. uh, and so that we, we can adapt and change with, with the circumstances. I, I was uh, listening to RNZ this morning and there was a epidemiologist, not Michael Baker, for oh, once. Okay. They, they found a different yeah. one. Um, <laughs> who knew there was more than one? Um, and he was saying, and now I, I urge people to, to find the morning report bit because he sounded a, a little controversial. Um, but one of the things he pointed out was that Delta hasn't gone away. And Delta's, yeah. the, Delta's the one to be worried about. Whilst we're hearing that there's going to be tens of thousands of cases a day in New Zealand for Omicron, most of those will likely be asymptomatic and people won't even realise they've got it. The reported case numbers will potentially be in the sort of 10 to 15,000 a day for Omicron. But that will overwhelm all the genomic testing and sequencing labs that we've got. And people might think, oh, I've got Omicron, but actually have Delta. And this is a this is going to be a significant problem when we're trying to keep uh, hospitalizations and mortality rates down. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And uh, I mean, I know that you'll pick me up on, on aspects of your question that I don't answer, but I'll try and cover a wee bit of it. Well, I mean, in summary, are we aware of that? As, as Is the government aware of the, the need to uh, be hyper aware of Delta as opposed to Omicron, which most people seem yeah. to believe is less severe? Yes, and um, what I would say is that well, what I will say is that the government are aware of that, and you're quite right. Um, and the epidemiologist, whoever that person mm. is, is also quite right in that you know Delta is still uh, the, the significant strain. I mean, people, and we look globally uh, to this. People get much sicker, it seems, when they have Delta. Mm-hmm. It is less uh, catchy as we understand it, than the Omicron one, but the consequences seem to be much more severe based on what we see globally. So that is absolutely something that we need to be aware of. What I would say is also, though, that you know you, you talk about Omicron being, some people being asymptomatic and it being uh, more mild. It's also proven globally when we look at that, that the empirical data indicates 
that that is for people who are vaccinated. Yes. You know, those that are not vaccinated may not actually be in a situation where it is less severe mm-hmm. than those that are vaccinated. A very so good point that the, I overlooked. Thank you. The, so the, the, the key, that's why there's a lot in your question. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the key point really around that is to ensure that our vaccination continues and to encourage people to be getting their booster. I can't get mine until next week. You know, February um, 18th for me, I'm all booked. See, there you go. And, and, and I'm going to do mine as, as soon as I can. But let's not forget that just because, you know, there is Omicron and people think that it's going to be um, more mild, less severe than Delta and other experiences even before that, Mm -hmm. uh, the the way in which we protect ourselves in our community is vaccination. And you and I have talked about that all through last year as well, and I'll continue to use every opportunity that I can to encourage people to vaccinate and to get their booster. Mm -hmm. You know, that was reduced down to four months. Um, I've heard some questions from a couple of constituents and from others saying, well, what about the, the first and the second dose? You know, the time lapse there, can we reduce that? Um, the, the advice is no, not at the moment. No. Um, you know, and you'd think that everyone that's going to get it will have got it, that their first and second doses at least started that journey by now. Yeah, although I've heard as recently as, what are we, Friday on Wednesday, some that, you know, were just booking them for their, their first. That's good. I mean, you know, we still want people to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. It's their choice. Um, but, yeah, so, yes, you're right, Delta is still the much more um, dangerous and difficult um, variant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government need to be aware of that. But the, the issue with Omicron and the pressures on the public health system is that some people will still require some assistance in hospitalisation. The modelling indicates that. Um, the plan supports that. But the way in which we uh, potentially reduce that is by making sure that as many people as possible make the decision to be vaccinated. What are we going to do uh, with the more vulnerable people of in our community? Not necessarily the, the unvaccinated, but the people that have underlying health issues. Because yeah. again, referencing the unnamed epidemiologist that was on Morning Report this morning, uh, he was saying, you know, the, the plan should be uh, get those vulnerable people, the elderly, the people with underlying health conditions, get them, in essence, locked away, nice and safe, let the young, fit, healthy and vaccinated go out into the community, uh, not have, and he stressed, and I wish to stress this too, not have big Omicron catching parties, but go about your life, let this thing flow through and then our more most vulnerable can come back out again. But, I mean, that's in essence a form of lockdown, which the government appears to be resisting. Well, I mean, when we look at that, clearly there are some limitations within the current red environment around those that are vaccinated and those who can't. So people can still go about elements of their daily routine, albeit there be some restrictions based on whether you have a vaccination um, certificate or, or not. By and large, I think mm-hmm. it's accepted that there are there are differences there. When we talk about vulnerable members of our community, you know, they, they will continue to be supported and make decisions. And many people that I talk to, you know, some older folk, for example, are hesitant about going out and about. They mm-hmm. are making decisions that by their own choice, restrict their, their movement because they have some concerns about, you know, the, the catchability of, of the new variant in Omicron. Um, when it comes to providing support for those that need to perhaps self-isolate because they do end up with Omicron, and I think we all need to understand that it is going to um, that it's going to happen, that, you know, huge numbers in our community will receive will, will receive the news that they have Omicron. Mm. By and large, most, as you point out, will uh, just it'll be mild, uh, less severe, they'll be able to, to manage that themselves. But there still be, will be that requirement to self-isolate at home. Yes, as we move to phase two and three, as the government announced this week, um, 
the, the, the time frames will change in terms of self-isolation. But people the, have asked me, well, what about those vulnerable members of our community that may not be able to self-isolate at home? For example, they don't have the support, they don't yeah. have the capability. And so it's pleasing to hear that the DHB, but also MSD, um, as part of their plan, have a support system in place to support those that might be in that situation. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's that's really important. Those of, those of um, our listeners who are out there who might be in a similar situation or know others, please reach out to MSD, reach out to my office, because we can provide you with the support and the access that you need um, to do so. Um, you, you mentioned phase two and phase three of, of, of this sort of management plan for yep. the Omicron outbreak. I, I struggle. It, it doesn't it, – it, it, nothing in it seems to be a plan to manage the outbreak. It seems to be just a controlled infection rate. Uh, the the Calling it a plan seems a little bizarre to me. Break it down for us, if you can, in, in, in simple terms, what each phase is and see if maybe I've just misunderstood it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it is it is a plan uh, acknowledging that we, we need to be able to function mm. individually and collectively uh, with Omicron in our community. And so currently, you know, we're in phase one. There is a three-phase uh, approach to this plan. Phase one is where we're at at the moment. At some stage, we will move into phase two, which is where there are significant numbers within our community, but not so much when we're into th- phase three, um, where there is a, a larger number. So it is based on the number of people that have Omicron um, in our community. And mm-hmm. so currently we're in phase one. As we move to t- phase two and to phase three, which will be the later one, um, phase two is, is largely a reduction in the uh, length of time that people will have to self-isolate. So, so, so phase two is just a fast track to phase three then? No, it, it, it indicates that there would be widespread um, community transmission of Omicron. Mm-hmm. And so what we will see is a reduction in the period of time that people will be required to self-isolate. So, for example, at the moment, if you're self-isolating um, at home and, and you, you, you have COVID, it's a 14-day yes. self-isolation period. If you are a close contact, um, it's, it's 10 days. So as we move to phase two, that will reduce to a 10 and 7. Mm-hmm. So instead of 14 and, and 10, it will go to, to 10 and 7. And, and this is to ensure that the economy and our society continues to function in some way, shape or form by not having most of the workforce off. I get that. But why bother with phase two if if phase three is... Phase two is just going to fast track us to more people infected and then we're going to further reduce the isolation tenures, so why bother? It's it's because it's accepted that phase two, there is community transmission. Mm. All right, now, we, we all know that Omicron is here and that it's going to get into our community and yes. there is going to be widespread and the modelling uh, indicates significant numbers of uh, cases each day. So by reducing the requirement of, of time over the, the, the period to self-isolate, there is still a mandatory requirement to self-isolate. So those that are um, either symptomatic because they're a close contact or they just are defined as a close contact or they have confirmed Omicron or COVID will be required to stay at home. Mm-hmm. The phase three move is actually more around the period of time 
that you are no longer symptomatic post-COVID. Right. So it is a managed phase. Um, it is in line with numbers. That's what ticks it over, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, right, well, we're moving on the 1st of February to phase two and then phase three, et cetera. It will de- be dependent on the current context and what that looks like. Um, so I, I, what I would also say is that, you know, um, people have said, well, how can we remember that? Mm. You know? There is still an, an, an understanding that public health will still be in, in contact with individuals. Yep. You know, the nature of contact tracing will change slightly. Uh, the definition of contacts and close contacts and the like may change as well. But what I am telling people is that when you are um, contacted by public health, as you will be, you need to take their advice. Yep. So, so don't get all caught up on, well, is it 10 or 14 or 7 or something different? When you are contacted by public health, those trained individuals will be giving you the information. Are they going to be have. able to call 70,000 people a day? Well, there'll be contact. So it may, it may not necessarily be a... All a right, call, will they be able to call or email contact. or text? You know, and, and you may say, yes, yeah, some of that will be largely automated. But there's, the, the, the health system in this country is not large. It isn't. It's not comprehensive. And this is a lot of people to be keeping on top of and, and telling them what to do right. So it, we all know that this will place some additional stress on our public health system. What the government is trying to do is to put in place a plan that can manage a global pandemic mm-hmm. within that context. Yes, it's going to cause some some stress. I think you know no one would, would deny that. Uh, but trying to put in place a plan alongside a global pandemic that other countries around the world have struggled – you know, and have had significant death rates as a result of lower vaccination rates. New Zealand is is very much in a different situation. Yes, some could say that. Well, we you know we've we've watched from the sidelines and seen how it, how it has worked. Um, we haven't experienced huge uh, death rates, uh, and with high vaccination rates, we certainly hope that that's not the case. Uh, but it will apply some pressure to the public health system. The government is trying to manage that as best it can. Marvellous. We are here with Tangi Utikeri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North on the Catch-Up. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, From one painful thing to another and something that I think is particularly close to your heart, and this is uh, the the natural disaster, let's call it, uh, that happened at Tonga... um, well, over over the break, I mean, that yeah. must have been uh, awful for for you to witness you and, and the rest of the Pacific Island community in Palmerston North um, and across New Zealand. Um, what I will say, I mean, people have, have heard the news and seen the footage and understand what's going over there. What is awesome is the New Zealand response to this. It is. I'm really proud of that. I mean, you know, the news that we heard a matter of weeks ago is just devastating. And while we could not see um, on a broader scale what the damage and impact looked like. Some of those initial uh, images that were coming through and even just seeing the global satellite yes, uh, was, image was yeah. kind of like, you know, that, that is something crazy. Mm-hmm. So what has been really um, encouraging is the response and leadership of, I think, New Zealand in that space. I think New Zealand, you know, we accept that we have a responsibility as, as a neighbour, but ethically it's the right thing to do. Yep. And so being able to dispatch, you know, our Air Force and our naval response has been really fantastic and something that's been supported. I just want to also commend locally um, our Tongan community 
this week they've been working extremely hard to prepare care packages yes. for their family in Ainga back um, in the islands. Some three islands have had to relocate to Tongatapu as far as I'm concerned because what I've been told because the island's just gone, yeah. basically. I mean, that's the nature of of this event. Yep. And so um, I've been working closely with actually the mayor um, and others to pull together the logistics around supporting our community. So mm. today and tomorrow um, they will be working um, out of uh, Arena, Bell Hall, dropping off their their items there. So I want to acknowledge the support that the council have given. I want to acknowledge um, the team at Fonterra who have also donated all the pallets um, that will be used. I want to acknowledge... Um, Main freight, who'll be transporting that at no cost through to Auckland, and obviously also Sir Michael Jones, been working alongside him um, to prepare the, the tainers, the local group have been working with him. Mm. So, you know, it's a real community effort to get care packages there. And the Mayor and I have had a conversation about future support because while that's the immediate focus, um, this will be a long term focus. Oh, it's a huge the, rebuild, rebuilding entire islands. You know, agriculture as well, which mm-hmm. had been quite significant as a mainstay for Tonga, has been completely wiped out as a result of, of you know, not just water but ash, mm. largely ash actually. Yeah. And so for the next 12 months there will be a global effort to support them and I know talking with Grant, you know, um, keen to work with others alongside the Tongan community to provide some additional support. So really proud of what's been happening locally here. Um, the, 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 you said obviously it's the moral or ethical thing to do, and, and I agree, is to, to help our neighbours. But this is not going to be the end of it, and it's not going to be the odd isolated case. Uh, we hear more and more about climate change we refugees. Uh, are we going uh, – is gov- I assume government's aware of this, but is, is there a, at least a nod towards the need for a plan to suddenly have the entire Kingdom of Tonga, for example – come and live in New Zealand because Tonga will disappear or Samoa or any of the other islands. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think Tongans themselves and, and other Pacific Islanders will have a view on that. Mm. Um, effectively, as you say, that that's being climate change refugees where you have no other choice but to relocate because your physical land is just not there. And when we look at some other parts of the Pacific and close to Australia as well, places like Nauru, Kiribati, which will, you know, in a matter of years, be completely underwater. Um, and and that that is that is due to climate change, and if we don't take action, then that that rate of change will just be exacerbated. Yes. So, I'm proud to be part of a, a, a ten strong member Pacifica caucus. Um, our caucus chair, Anahila uh, Kangataasuisuiki, um, is on the Environment Select Committee with me, and she's taken the lead in terms of Pacific climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a it is a real focus, and you know if if we can just think about the place that we physically call home, and being in a situation where the the actions of others around us, um, not in our home, mean that in a matter of years. We won't have a physical home anymore. That's the dire situation that many of our Pacific neighbours are in. And I think it's fair to say that New Zealand fully accepts that we have um, a role. Um, We've always seen ourselves as a country that has been a a cousin, an older brother, sister, what do you want to call it, a sibling. But actually we also see our responsibilities as empowering island nations Mm. and, 
you know, so yeah, globally we have a, a responsibility in that space. I was speaking to Regina Scavens uh, from Mass oh, University. In her book? Yes, about the book. Uh, we interviewed her on the catch up a couple of uh, weeks ago. Um, I encourage people to go and see that npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Um, but the, the just the the wealth of of uh, knowledge and wisdom that is found in the Pacifica proverbs um, is is mind blowing, and it makes me despair for Western society, quite frankly. Oh, it's fantastic. I was at the launch of that book um, in Wellington because Parliament was sitting so I couldn't make the Palmy one. But Mana of the uh, Pacific, it's called. It's, it's fantastic. And the photographs, which has a, a family connection to her as well in mm-hmm. terms of the photographer, are just fantastic. And, yeah, you're right. You read through them. I was asked to select one uh, just to talk about the, the connection. And they were just – you read through the page, oh, select that one. And then by the time that you got to the end of the book, you'd selected at least half of them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really cool publication. Uh, very quickly, uh, plans for 2022. Um, I note uh, in your article in The Guardian uh, talking about the Huia Street Reserve, the, 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 the central government, the parliament needs to change a, th- a thing, an mm. act, uh, in order to allow people to build on Huia Street Reserve. That's a sort of local aspect. That, that Actually, there's, there's a date coming up for that that's important. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, mid-February. Mm. So I encourage people, whatever your views are, to submit to that if you want to and that's what I've been been telling um, in short it's with the select committee at the moment yep. um, it does concern the future of that land if you want it to remain as a reserve piece of land let the select committee know if you have a different view you don't care or whatever mm-hmm. you want to select select committee know yeah uh, but yes other plans for 2022 yeah sorry Fraser um, so we had the away caucus in New Plymouth last week so that was good for us as a party and mm-hmm. as a collective unit to talk about that but if I can just you know finish off with what my plans are here locally since this is the start of of many more conversations during the <laughs> yes. year which I really enjoy. Yeah, give me some notes um, for what so, to ask you about. Oh, hold me accountable as you always do and as you should do. Um, but the focus for me is on continuing to be visible and accessible here locally. Um, you know, the office is open again and so we're available to support constituents that need to engage with us. But one of the things that I really found... Do you require a vaccine pass to get into your... No, you don't. Ah. No, you don't. Um, So different... It's up to each individual office and each individual MP. Um, Parliamentary service doing a security health and safety matrix for us to have a look at. And I talk with my team, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so where I've landed is that um, all people should have access to me as their local member. It doesn't mean that we have some restrictions. At the moment, we have some screening questions that if you're not well, we won't allow you to come in. That's Mm -hmm. for our own health and safety for our immediate working environment. Um, But uh, no, you don't need a vaccine pass, but we put in place the other measures to to support us around that uh, for the time being. And that may change, uh, but for now, um, no. So the focus is being on uh, visible and accessible. Yeah, yeah. So um, Palmy pop-ups last year, I introduced those, which are basically surgeries or clinics mm-hmm. out in the neighbourhood. I'd so, steer away from the medical terms. So, well, I was talking to someone yesterday. They said, oh, aren't they called surgeries? I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> surgery. Anyway, they are pop-up opportunities where people come and talk to me um, out in the in the neighbourhoods and in the suburbs. So I'm going to a range of different, um, you know, church community venues. Uh, I'm doubling them this year. So they were so successful last year that um, it's a, a, an opportunity to, for me to do more of them. And, mm-hmm. and so the team and I have set those for the year. Um, and, yeah, alongside being at the market and, and monthly coffee and politics and all those sorts of things, 
where I can as possible. So I'm looking forward to, to being out and about. As are you as are you doubling those up because you won't be visible at uh, community events? Because we've heard last week, you know, Festival of Cultures, you were always present at that. In your previous job, you, you made a point of, of being there. Uh, yeah, all the community events are just being cancelled left, right and centre. There are some changes in that space. And <laughs> I, can, an I can tell you that um, the decision in the schedule for uh, the Pami pop-ups was finalised end of November, beginning of December. Ah, okay. So the, the driving focus for me has actually been, around that decision, has been um, how easy constituents find it to come and visit me in their local neighbourhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I will point out that they are by appointment, though, because right. you know um, the opportunities at the market are where people can come up and talk to me without an appointment. But this is for people that might have some issues and they need to sit down. And so it's not helpful if I'm somewhere for two hours for there to be four people and they to be waiting for an hour. So they are by appointment. But no, they were set before the stuff. I will continue to get to as many local events because yep. uh, I enjoy them. I don't do that as a sense of of duty. I see that as a member of our community it's important to be out and about now. Tangi Utakiri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, thank you for joining us on the Catch Up this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And uh, if you want to listen to this or previous editions, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Back on Tuesday, uh, we'll be uh, speaking to uh, Jackie from Massey. Join us for that. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.